0: Submit through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that there would be no rebellion in our hearts this morning. That we would be a people who would be submissive to you, the righteous judge and king over all. May we experience the power of your presence this morning, Holy Spirit. May we trust in your ability to change us, that we do not have to be the same as we always have been. Lord, may your words speak and may our hearts be changed and may your name be glorified. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3 concluding this chapter. We're going to be in verses 12 through 21. Last week we looked at the first segment of chapter 3 and we said that the only way to guard our joy in Christ, this is the command that Paul has given to the believers in Philippi. The only way to guard our joy in Christ is to boast only in Christ. And what we mean by thats is that is that there is nothing else that we have, whether by birthright or by our own uh, strength, nothing that we've earned that we can pile up and that can amount to anything before God. Friends, we might have a privileged birthright, we might have a great work ethic, we may have been blessed with a powerful intellect or a certain gift with our hands, but what Paul tells us is nothing that we have of our own is can be piled up and can amount to anything before God. And if we try to boast in anything besides Christ, we lose our joy in Christ. And that is what Paul tells the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. And he tells them, don't try to rejoice in anything else. Boast only in Christ. You know, it's interesting that that's the command Paul gives to the people in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord. You see there were people in Philippi who would tell them those believers say Caesar is Lord. Say Caesar is Lord. And those believers in Philippi would have to say no. My Lord was crucified on a cross and rose from the dead three days later. And sits at the right hand of the Father. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been? Yet, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice and boast only in Christ. And the second segment of this chapter that Paul is going, second segment of our teaching, guarding our joy, is not only boast only in Christ, but strive only after Christ. It's, it's interesting, this tension. It's, it's something Paul has already highlighted in the book of Philippians. It was in chapter 2 when he said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a tension throughout the scripture, friends. God gives us his grace and gives us life through the Holy Spirit. We do nothing to earn it, but then he says, work it out. Strive after it. It requires effort, endurance. This is the tension. And this is what we're called to. He's given us His grace and we can boast only in Christ. But He's also called you to blood, sweat and tears seeking after Christ. And so, how do we guard our joy in Christ? By boasting only in Him and then striving only after Him. This is what we'll see this morning there's a particular analogy that occurs throughout this whole passage and it's the analogy of a, a runner of a runner paul's going to speak of striving and of stretching and the analogy is from the olympic games paul had witnessed this these olympic athletes who would strain and who would work hard to be able to perform at their best and be able to compete And these Olympic games. And this is the analogy Paul is using throughout. I'm already hot. It's not looking good, is it? Uh, This is the analogy he's using throughout. Strive. Strain. Stretch your spiritual muscles. It's going to require endurance. You might have heard of an Olympic athlete right now. He's the fastest American distance runner. His name is Ryan Hall. And he says that his coach is God it's it's very interesting, and I'm not necessarily saying that you should not have a coach, but his coach, he says, is God. Some days he'll, he says he'll ask, God, how far do you want me to run today? And he says God tells him, and it, it might be so, I'm not advocating whether this is completely right or wrong, but it's just an interesting uh, picture of what the spiritual wa- life is supposed to be like. This man is a distance runner. i I don't want to do it. It sounds very difficult. But he says that he runs with God, and God tells him how far to run, and he runs a very long distance, and he does it very fast. And so it's an interesting analogy to what we are called to in the life of a Christian. We are called to endurance with God. So... I want to give you three truths this morning before we get into the main part of the sermon. Three truths, and this is from another pastor, but I think it's helpful as we dive into this text. First, you can't run the race without entering it. I hope you'll write these down. These are not in the notes. You can't run the race without entering it. What Paul is going to say is that I haven't necessarily, Paul says, I haven't necessarily obtained the prize. He's talked about in verses 1 through 11, how much he longs to seek Christ, how much he wants to be with him, to experience even his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. And then from transitioning, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already made perfect. He's saying, I haven't obtained it. But he strives to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of him. You see, Paul entered the race because Christ laid hold of him. You can't run the race without entering the race. And so I want to just make sure you understand this truth. Are you a part of the race, friend? Has Christ laid hold of you? That's a question you need to ask yourself. If Christ hasn't laid hold of you, then you need to beg God that he would lay hold of you. That you could enter this race. Secondly, second truth. First, you can't run the race without entering it. Secondly, you can't run the race if you're distracted, taken up with other things. You can't run this race if you're distracted, taking up taken up with other things, Paul's going to say, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is just like a runner. A runner can only do one thing at a time if he wants to win the race, and that's run. And this is the way it is in the Christian life. You can't live worldly and then as a Christian at the same time. You can only you can't run this race if you're distracted. And then thirdly, third truth: you can't fail to win the prize if you run without being distracted. If you run in that way, you see this. What Paul the analogy of running it, it breaks down at, at some point. Paul's not talking about a race in which he's trying to necessarily compete against other people, and there's only going to be one runner, one winner. Excuse me. The beautiful thing about this race is if we all run it, we all win. We all win. And so you can't fail to win the race, to win the prize, if you run with that type of endurance. Those are three truths that I, that I hope that you can take away from this. And now as we look at the main part of the, the sermon, that was the introduction, <laughs> There, there are four aspects of perseverance that I hope you can take away from this. This is going to be a, a lot of stuff, and so I, I'm burdened just feeling that there's a lot here. But I hope that you're able to take something away from this, and I hope this is can be helpful to your sanctification this week. Four things that we need to persevere in, that we need to keep doing. The first one of these is we need to keep a healthy view of ourselves. You need to keep a healthy view of yourself. I need to keep a healthy view of myself. This is in verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this. In other words, Paul's saying, I haven't obtained perfection, full maturity. I'm not there yet. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We need to have a healthy self-awareness, friends, that none of us have made it. Surely, if Paul hadn't made it, we definitely haven't made it, right? The truth is, we, none of us are where we want to be, but that doesn't mean we should resort to despair, right? That we should give up. I know that all of us have been very shocked, as we've learned more about the shootings in Colorado this week, early Friday morning. They resulted in 12 deaths and a large number of injuries. And while we question these things, even this morning there are citizens of Norway who are honoring their year anniversary of the deaths of 77 people, over 200 injuries from gun and bomb attacks a year ago today. We don't need to lighten the impact of what's happened closer to us. But as Christians, we do need to have a global perspective that there are things going on everywhere. This many are dying and more every single day, even minute. And so, as we look at this truth, none of us have made it. None of us are there. What we need to recognize, friends, is that while we're here, sin will always be a problem. While we're here, any... Any one of us, while we are here, sin will always be a problem. We shouldn't underestimate the possibility that all of us could do something horrific. Something very evil. Because of the sin that still lies even within us. There was a, a man named John Stott. A pastor for many years in Europe. He just died this, this last year at the age of 90. Was in the ministry over 60 years and someone told him one time, he was known as a meek man. He was called Uncle John by many who knew him. And someone asked him one time, how do you stay so humble? And he said, if you, can see, if you could see my heart, you'd spit in my face. Isn't that the truth about all of us? I mean, we would have no friends, and none of us would have any friends if we could all see what each other really felt about one another, Right? I mean, if we could see down deep in the inside of the thoughts we have sometimes just about even a spouse, whoever it may be, friends, that's just the evidence that the sin still lies within us. Evil is only restrained because sometimes we've learned to be civil towards one another, to not say what we really want to say. We need to be very honest that we're not where we should be. We're not there yet. And so Paul has this healthy self-awareness. I haven't obtained it. I'm not made perfect. But I still press on. It's not despair. It's not, I'm, this is just how it's going to be. This is just how I am. It's. I haven't made it, but I'm still trying. I'm still trying. But then this other aspect of self-awareness. First, we haven't attained it. None of us have. We're all capable of a tremendous amount of evil. But then secondly, Christ laid hold of us first. If you are in the race, we need to be very aware of this, that Christ laid hold of you, me, first. It was nothing that we did, friends. This is what Paul tells us. The reason I'm pressing on is because Christ has made me his own. You see, everything we do in obedience is only a response to what he's done. Did Christ make you his own? That's why you walk in joy. That's why you walk in kindness and love. Christ laid hold of us first. We always need to see ourselves in light of Christ. We seek that that for which Christ laid hold of us. We need to make sure we're aligning our mission for our lives with Christ's mission. And Paul would say this is a key way to maintain joy. You see, Christ laid hold of us and gave us a particular mission. And when we reject what Christ has laid hold of us for, we reject the joy that He would give us. So this is healthy self-awareness. This is healthy view of ourselves. First, that we haven't attained it. None of us are there and we probably aren't going to be there tomorrow. But we keep striving. We're not giving up, and Christ laid hold of us first. We're only responding to what God has already done. We need to make sure that we're striving after this to keep this mind in view. This is what keeps us humble as well. We're not there yet. None of us are there yet. And so we don't need to look down on each other, bash each other. We're all in the same place, just really trying, by God's grace, to be more like Christ. Healthy self-awareness. Secondly, we need to keep focused on the race at hand. This is verses 13 and 14. We need to keep focused on the race that we have before us. 13 and 14. Read these verses with me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God In Christ Jesus. In this race analogy, Paul says that he must focus and forget the past. We also learn this healthy amount of self-forgetfulness from Paul. You know, there's even a fine line between repentance and self-pity. I found this as I was reading this text this week. I mean, don't I need to dwell on my sins just a little bit longer and be sad over them before I just forget it and then move on? Repentance is a change of action and direction. Self-pity is dwelling on the sin. And we sometimes think that's more holy and pleasing to God. That's a struggle, right? But Paul says we need to forget the past and strive on. Can you imagine how hard it must have been for Paul to forget the past? He stood by supporting the death of the first martyr for Christ. I mean, he was responsible for it. And then on his way to he when he was converted, he was going to capture more Christians. Can you imagine the guilt? how hard it must have been to forget all the things he had done to forgive himself. But Paul says we must put the past behind us. We have to focus on the race that is at hand. It's hard to run forward when we're looking back, right? For a runner, it's hard to focus on the race that he's running if he's thinking about all the other races that he's lost. And so we need to focus on forgetting the past, And also, maybe there's some past glories that it's hard for us to forget about. We're letting those past glories, those glory days, we're trying to think about those and dwell on those, and letting those kind of determine the future. We want to get back there, because that was the time when life was good. Paul doesn't say whether the past is negative or positive, forget about it. He just says forget about it, and strive forward. Whatever it is for you, we need to forget about the past. And then uh, there may be some of us who are just resigned to be where we are. We always give in to the same sin. That's never going to change. This is always going to be a struggle for me. And so this is just the way it is, right? No, friend, forget the past. Put it behind. Focus on the race at hand. Strive forward. Strive forward. Secondly, keeping focused on the race at hand. Focus on the finish line. See, if we're not looking at the past, we're able to focus on the finish line. And that finish line is eternity. Did you notice that Paul uses just these really nondescriptive words? He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's not real specific on what the prize is, is he? It's kind of difficult, but it's implicit in these verses. The prize, the upward call of God. Verses 20 through 21, if you'll flip over to those very quickly. Verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think back to chapter 1, Paul would say to live is Christ to die is gain what did he gain he gained Christ you see at the finish line in eternity we gain Christ what we're longing for what we desire where our focus should be is on Christ and what we will gain in him and now this is this is difficult as well As one writer says, in our culture, we're the most death-denying culture in history. For many of us, it's hard to make the connection between the hamburger we're eating and the cow that was slaughtered to get the hamburger. In Africa, it was interesting. It was so much closer connection. I was eating this really tough chicken because that chicken was running just a couple of days earlier or maybe the day before. But it's it's hard in our culture. We don't see these things happen, death, often. And so we're very separated from it. And the result of that, friends, is that we don't think about eternity very often. We think about this life. The names of the victims from the Colorado shooting were being released this morning. They were being read this morning on the radio as we were driving here. And it was so interesting. Most of them were in their 20s. One of them was celebrating their 27th birthday. Many of them were young, even younger than that. Some of them were diving in front of their girlfriends. A couple of guys died taking, I said, taking bullets for their girlfriends. These were mid-20s guys. We need to remember that death could be anywhere around the corner for any of us. And the reason Christianity offers such hope is because this life is only a fraction. A small, small piece. You see, the finish line is eternity and the reward is Christ. I wonder if you keep that hope in mind. If you're focused on that race at hand of Christianity, of looking at the finish line, which is Christ. Will he be sufficient? If he is all that's there, will he be sufficient for you? Will you be satisfied? If not, then you need to ask if, if you're in the race at all. And if you are in the race, are you really striving in it? That is what we will see at the finish line. Christ. Thirdly, we need to first keep a healthy view of ourselves. We need to keep focused on the race at hand. And then thirdly, we need to keep a mature mindset in this in this race. You know, the running, it's its hard to really to see this, but running is its a mental game in a lot of ways. Most sports are, aren't they? I remember when I was growing up watching a particular baseball player, Chuck Knobloch. He played for the New York Yankees. And he played second base, was a good player. But all of a sudden, he started trying to make these throws to first base that would go like... Like, first base is here, and they would go over here. And it was like, what's wrong with this guy? And they, they really thought it, w- it was mental. This happens to a lot of athletes. It's a, it's a mental game. And so even in running a race, we need to make sure that we have a mature mindset. Why is Paul so concerned about this in the Christian life? Well, it's because thinking determines doing, right? Isn't this, this is the connection James makes between faith And works. Faith with no works is dead. It's no good faith. And this is what Paul's concerned with. If the people don't think biblically, they won't act biblically. So, in this particular case, what application is Paul making? Well, if we consider ourselves to have made it, then we'll become very prideful and then we will be all divided because some of us think we're further along. We've made it, and that will divide us as a people. And then if there are those who don't strive after Christ, maybe you know you haven't made it, but you are just resigned. I'm not going to make it. What's the point? I'm just going to wait till I get there. Well, in that case, you become very stagnant and pessimistic, and you're miserable for all of us to be around, and so that also divides us. So the New Testament in general and here in particular is very concerned with the renewal of the mind. That we have a mature mindset. And so in verse 15 Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul's concerned that they think rightly. But, but... Notice that Paul says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You know, Paul knows that this letter is not going to solve everything. He knows it's not going to solve every problem this church has. How quickly do we often make up our minds about our opinion on a movie or our opinion on a sermon? A lot of you have already decided how you feel about this little speech right here, right? Right? But what Paul wants to say is, give it some time. Think over this a little more. Don't make up your mind so quickly. You see, Paul, he knows this won't solve everything, but he expects that those who are a bit displeased when they first hear this letter, they'll be open to the working of God's Spirit so that that, that God can still change their hearts. So those who have the Holy Spirit, God will bring them to a place of revelation. For the application here, friends, we need to acknowledge that not everything we do here, it's not going to solve everything. This little time that we share on Sunday mornings, this teaching, I I need to acknowledge, it's not going to solve everything. For us to win the race, we need to train every day. So I want to ask you, are you allowing God to work in you? When you leave church, is this the last time you think about the sermon or about the Sunday school lesson? Are you allowing God's Spirit to continue to work that in your heart? Things that you may not have necessarily agreed with, are you kind of thinking that over a little more and asking God to change you where it's your rebellious heart? Paul knows this isn't going to solve everything, but we need to keep a mature mindset. We need to be patient and let the Spirit of God continue to plant His Word within our hearts and transform us. Let our minds catch up. And then lastly, in this section, Paul says, for now, this is Christian maturity. Living consistently with what you've already learned. Right? Paul says in verse 16, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Friends, there are places we've already been, where we've already spent a great deal of time. We've talked about holiness a lot. We've talked about men lead your homes a lot. We've talked about some things quite a bit. I wonder if we're living to what we've already attained. If we're walking in the things that we've already been in. Yes, it takes some maintenance work or some reminders, that's understandable. But friends, are we walking in those things or are we continuing to reject them? This is maturity, that we would be faithful to what we've already learned. That we would hold to that and continue to be faithful in that. And so this is what Paul exhorts them to do. This is part of striving in the race. You know, the runner has to make sure he keeps his mechanics right. He's learned them since he started running, but he has to keep working on them, making sure that he still has the right mechanics. And we have to do that as well. Lastly, we need to keep watching for examples. Keep watching for examples. Paul says in verse 17, Brothers... Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. But then verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Paul provides three basic examples that we can have. That we need to be watching for. The first is himself. Paul, he provides a pattern to follow. This is very difficult because we like to say only Christ is our example. But Paul, several times through the New Testament and his writings says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so as we look at the letters that Paul writes, many times we can find examples for ways that we are to pattern our lives in following Christ. Paul provides us an example. I would encourage you as you're reading through epistles during your uh, time in Bible study, personal Bible study, think about how Paul handled situations. Think about his devotion to Christ in all things and how that can become exemplary for your life. Paul is a pattern to follow. But then also, we should be encouraged that there are others around us who follow God. He says... Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Isn't it wonderful that God provides other godly people in our lives who can encourage us and provide an example for us? Sometimes in our individualistic spirituality we really rebel against that. No, it's me and my walk with God. This is what God wants me to do. I don't think that's what Paul would advocate. We should look to others who are also trying to follow God and let these exhort us and be examples for us. Be encouraged, friends. Look around you. Do you have people in your life close with you who are seeking after God with all their hearts and you are allowing them to be an example for you? I hope you do. But then lastly, in watching for examples... There are bad examples. There are examples that serve as a warning for us. Not necessarily an encouragement. Paul says, For many of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. This is quite harsh, isn't it? They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me just go through this just these sins very quickly and we're almost finished. First, their end is destruction. Friends, this is where they're headed. They will be separated from God for all eternity. This is, the word destruction is usually used to point to this, that they'll be separated from God and they will suffer in their separation from God. But this is why. Their God is their belly. They are self-indulgent in everything they do. They serve themselves and how they can satisfy themselves. In some ways, this is how sin begins too, isn't it? We just want to indulge ourselves just a little bit. It pleases us, and so we seek after it. And maybe it's even to experiment. It's still indulging ourselves. This is how it begins. And then he says, they begin to glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. There's a reversal of moral standards in their life. You see, this, if sin begins with self-indulgence, just satisfying ourselves a little bit, eventually it will turn into, we begin to laugh at what we once thought was despicable. There's a reversal of a moral standard in our lives. There's a reversal, a justification for their self-indulgence. You know, I used to think that was wrong, but I tried it, and now I enjoy it. And so then they find a way to justify it. They glory in their shame. They laugh at it. They boast about it. However they do it. They glory in what's completely wrong and what's really shameful. And then, lastly, their minds are set on earthly things. They began the journey in the name of experience, possibly in self-indulgence, but are now no longer even able to get out. Their mind is completely sold out to earthly Things. And here is the final contrast of the entire this passage. Their mind is set on earthly things, but look where Paul goes. But our citizenship is in heaven. The final contrast is their mind wholly given over to the world and its ways. We citizens in he- of heaven, therefore, our minds are set on heaven. Isn't that a beautiful contrast? The world. Their mind is set on the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we are waiting for a savior. And this is a story of all of creation. Of all of existence. There are those whose mind is set on earthly things. And then there are those who are waiting for a savior. Their citizenship is in heaven. And I simply want to ask you this morning, which one are you? Which one are you? Is your mind set on earthly things? Do you glory in what is shameful? In sin? Have you been given life through the Holy Spirit? And are you participating in the race And then for those of you who are participating in the race, are you striving? Is there some stretching, spiritual stretching going on? Because this is what it takes to be in the race. I hope you see over and over again through these teachings, friends, there is no super spiritual Christianity that Paul ever mentions. It's all just Christianity. And it's all going to require your life. Everything. Are you stretching? Are you striving? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have forgiven us of our sins, that you've given us life through your Holy Spirit, and that you teach us to be obedient. This is the story of the entire Scriptures. God, you give us life and you teach us to walk in your ways. Lord, teach us how we ourselves personally can become more devoted to your ways. Lord, whether we're young or old, maybe we're even worn out. God, may we not give up. May we keep striving. Thank you for your grace. Your empowering love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand.